0: We are all born artists and creators, yet slowly but surely our false programming from society, culture, and family takes us down a different path. I was born a spiritual gangster, and the awakened dad is the journey back to myself. My name is Brent Hurd, and I've taken the journey of achieving what I thought was success and found myself lying on an operating table facing the edge of life. My mission is to help as many of us reclaim who it is that we truly are, and help 100 million children live out their greatest lives. Join me each Thursday in listening to the stories of those who have made it back to themselves and lived a life of fulfillment and joy. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to The Awakened Dad. We have an amazing show today. We have Joel Lunenfeld. Joel is an award-winning marketer and storyteller, recognized as one of the top voices in the digital marketing and social media space for the last 20 years. Today, Joel is an investor and advisor to some of the world's most exciting startups. He spent six years at Twitter as vice president of Global Brand Strategy, responsible for shaping their business and consumer brand marketing around the globe. Prior to Twitter, he was one of the first employees and eventual CEO of Moxie Interactive, acquired by Publicis in 2008. Leading client engagements such as Verizon, Nestle, Fox Movie Studios, Coca Cola, L'Oreal, and more. After Twitter, Joel joined NorCal Cannabis as CMO, bringing his marketing and brand building experience to emerging cannabis market. An award winning creative, Joel has been awarded a Can Lion Grand Prix among many other accolades for his groundbreaking work. As recognition of his career achievements, leadership, and impact on the industry, Joel was inducted into the American Advertising Federation Advertising Hall of Achievement in 2015. The guy has done a lot. Joel also deeply cares about giving back to society in 2014. He co-founded a nonprofit, The Guardian Project, a boxing and jiu-jitsu academy in Oakland, California, working with at-risk youth to build community and self-esteem through martial arts. Joel also served on the board of Higher Heroes USA, a nonprofit that helps veterans and their spouses find jobs and transition from military to civilian life. And the guy is not yet 50 years old. A whole lot to learn from Joel. Amazing lessons on today's show. Super excited for you to listen. And here we go. Okay, and welcome to the show, Joel Lunenfeld. So as as you heard, Joel is a... Longtime friend of mine, Uh, Joel was initially uh, my client uh, when he was the CEO of Moxie Interactive. And then Joel and I worked together at Twitter. We've been through and shared a whole lot of life together. And so really happy to have Joel on the show. Welcome. Welcome, Joel, to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Brent. I'm excited to be here and honored to be your first interview on your podcast. I'm so happy for you.
0: Thank you so much it means the world and uh, and of course I'm not not surprised about that so as uh, as i have been uh, uh, sort of kicking it off with uh, how how really want to want to want to start here is is, is joe what what is your unique seed of greatness as you know i talk a lot about our seeds of greatness that we all mm-hmm. come with a seed of greatness and i'd really like to hear about your unique seed of greatness, not only what it is, when you really began to understand it, got clarity on it, and really then began living it. Would like to just start there.
1: Thank you, Brent. Um, It's a really good question. And one that I think at the surface, a lot of my life growing up, I thought that um, my seed was around creativity, Uh, I've just always been told, God, you're so creative. Uh, You know, everything you do is creative. Look at, you know, what little Joel created. That was kind of always what I thought it was. And as I got older, uh, I began to realize there's a nuance to that. Uh, Being creative is something that's super valuable and something that I believe, as you do, that everybody is born with it. But I think that my seed of greatness, um, as I've been told by, by other people, actually, is around bringing together uh groups of people to be creative with me and to be able to take and communicate ideas that are often either pretty complex or a little esoteric and one put them in terms that people can understand Two, put them in a way that invites you along for the ride and three, in a way that's able to kind of bring these things from zero to one, from, you know, non-existent, from a thought in your head, all the way up into here it is, I'm holding it, I'm seeing it, I'm watching it, I'm you know, playing with it. And, you know, that's really what I think it is. I think it's around kind of co-creation, uh, to put a finer point on it, not just creation. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, that's 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 great. Um so, you know, I wanted to I wanted to just move a little bit kind of on the timeline and you know as you, as you were talking about this You know, the thing I was thinking about was obviously, you know, I've, I've known you and I've seen you in, in, in so many different, you know, roles I've, you know, I saw you as this guy who started out as a, you know, media buyer in this advertising agency and, and became the CEO of this advertising agency. And like, as the guy who was calling on you as the sales guy, I remember like thinking, I was like, God, like that is just unbelievable. I mean, (laughs) I was like, that is just unbelievable to, sort of move into that role from starting where you started and you know obviously I saw a lot of I saw a lot of it and I knew a lot of it but this was also an advertising agency that was growing you know leaps and bounds and was becoming a national uh, entity and uh, you know was acquired by a massive large entity and you you became the CEO and so the question I have that's just popped into my head is is you went from like, you know, media buyer or maybe junior media buyer to CEO of this advertising agency. How did you handle all the things that were coming at you in that role where maybe or maybe not you were prepared or unprepared to be that? Because that was this really big thing from my perspective.
1: Yeah, that's- Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think the key word here is from your perspective, right? Yeah. Um, in my movie, in my head, you know, I was 29. Uh, I believe I was 29, 28 or 29. I had never managed uh, a P&L of a company before. You know, I I'd started to manage people and started to move up through the ranks. And I just want to take a quick side street for a second to say that, you know, sometimes it takes in life, and I've found this many times, It takes somebody to believe more in you than you believe in yourself Mm. and to give you that chance, Mm. right? So I'm just going to say a quick um, thank you eternally to Chris Pinto and um, just for seeing more in me than I saw in myself. And, you know, Chris, if you'd listen to this, I just want you to know I love you. And, you know, and and that's all. So um, I think if you... Look at other patterns in my life, where there's always this really uh, kind of open and uh, willing naivete. And you know as I look back on almost anything I've ever done in my life, whether it was you know, pick up and move across the country with a th- with a three month old baby to start a new job at Twitter, whether it was, you know, decide to to do what I'm doing today, which we'll talk about more, which is move on a land with a few acres and, you know, build things and, you know, build a barn and do all this type of crazy, you know, have goats and chickens. There's a little teaser for you or it was becoming CEO of a company when when you know I don't right doing it I grew up in Brooklyn, I never went to business school. I studied anthropology in school like and here I am you know with the CEO, the global CEO of L'Oreal and winning the, and winning the business and being you know the the, the CMO of Verizon's mm. uh, you know uh, phone call that he makes before he talks to the press right so there is one mantra that I developed uh, pretty early on. And it was, it actually had to do with a dream I have. And I I used to say had, but I have of playing music and recording music and being a musician, right? I moved out to Atlanta from Brooklyn after college on a handshake deal to be a developed recording artist under 404 records, which at the time was famous for, uh, uh, Belleville DeVoe and, uh, uh, and others, uh, other kind of big groups, new kids in the block originally. And I was told like, Hey, you've got this amazing voice and unique quality. And you also don't look like a singer. You look like a football player. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it was like this dichotomy and they told me to move out there and, you know, no contract signed, just a handshake deal. I was 22. I had just graduated. I had a job and I figured why not me? Um, and that was my philosophy, which is somebody mm. is going to be the person that does something, right? Yeah. Somebody is going to be a recording artist and be famous, break out. Somebody mm. is going to be, you know, when I was pitching businesses, I remember pitching like UPS or Coca Cola when we were a three or four person agency, uh, or Porsche, uh, and saying, well, somebody's going to win. Why not us? Yeah. Like, we're smart, we're capable um, why not us? It's gotta be somebody. And that's how I felt about the CEO role at a very young age. It was why not me? You know? And and I've always believed somehow, despite all the self doubt and things I have dealt with in my life, like depression and things like that. I always had this, uh, why not me attitude, which really just means don't be afraid to bet on yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Man, so yeah, if I would
1: have known then what I know now, yeah, God, I mean, I probably wouldn't have gone through all that. I was <laughs> I'm glad I did, and I think that that's a built in, you know, uh, operating system yeah. that most people have to just jump in and then maybe figure out later. And in the rear mirror, holy shit, things look hard,
0: yeah, 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 man. I, I, I remember seeing you through a lot of the. Just stressful moments of, uh, of when that agency grew and scaled and, you know, when you were, when you were leading it and running it and, and that's a really interesting perspective. So, so you left Moxie and you traveled out to San Francisco with a small baby and family. I remember it well. Um, you were with me. I was with you <laughs> You were on the plane. Correct. And then you took this job with Twitter, and, and then Twitter went through this, like, unbelievable rocket ship ride, which, which we both experienced. Your, your experience was obviously different than mine. You were at headquarters, and you, you know, really, I mean, you built out this sort of massive team. I don't even know how big, like, massive. You were a global leader uh, of a business that was going through, you know, this explosive growth how do you kind of keep moving forward when the walls are so pressurized? So, yeah, I'd just love to hear a little bit about that and 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 maybe mm-hmm. some stories along the way that kind of pop into your mind about that journey because that was an unbelievable journey. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Brent. Yeah, so, um, yeah, as, as, as you said, I came on um, and was a vice president of, global brand at Twitter. So this was when Twitter was, you know, it was a few hundred people. It was, uh, you know, before the IPO, before the the kind of global dominance that you see today. And um, I moved out again, three-month-old baby, my poor wife at home, trying to manage it all. Um, And I was uh, flying around the world. I was literally setting up teams in Brazil, setting up teams in Japan, like, uh, as you mentioned, you know, 22 countries uh, building out a 200 something plus global team. And um, when I first got there, I had what I am sure many people, in fact, this has become my little science project to ask everybody I know who is either extremely famous or extremely successful and or both the same question, which is, do you have imposter syndrome mm. Um, and I was loaded with it. <laughs> I had, I had imposter syndrome, you know, dripping. And I remember my first week uh, starting the job. I was introduced by by Adam, uh, our, our boss, who said, "Hey, this is Joel. Uh, bring him to every meeting with you. Um, he'll make you money. He'll, he'll, give, he'll give you millions of dollars." I was like, "Oh, it's not, it's not, it's not uh, too much pressure." And um, yeah, I'd like coming in and meeting Jack Dorsey and Dick Costello, who's a CEO and the head of product, and meeting all of these people, including the four people that were on my team, because they, they hand chose four people to go on my team. And as I looked down their LinkedIn, their resume, I saw graduating Stanford, you know, summa cum laude, uh, law school, uh, uh, literally someone who. Built planes for a living, like a, you know, an, astro, an astro, What is it? A
0: rocket scientist. I remember that.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, people who worked at Google and YouTube and founded it, and like basically the people that built all the apps in my phone. Like mm-hmm. it was, uh, you know, surrounded by the best of the best, talking about like yeah. geniuses and people who didn't just work; they worked twenty four seven. They were the hungriest people I've ever met in the in the best possible way and literally geniuses i remember that i used to witness them coming up problems i used to my vision was different trains coming towards the same track like oh this person thinks in numbers this person thinks in in, in physics this person thinks in you know, revenue and you know what did i think of, right so with uh, many many pounds full of imposter syndrome and as you mentioned all the pressure coming at me and moving across the country and a newborn baby uh, and all of these things and a wife who definitely needed more attention than I was giving her. Mm. I was very naive uh, and I thought, why not me? But I also then started to understand what my unique gift was that um, we talked about before, because there were a lot of incredibly smart people just running on jet fuel. But I remembered that what I could do differently and what I saw when I spoke to either my team or the board or clients or, you know, a, a stadium of a few hundred thousand people for the Can Lions, um, I remember thinking, oh, okay, what I have is the ability to tell the story, invite creation and bring people along for the ride. So that, that is, that's the, that's the positive side of the question. The negative side or the shadow side of how I dealt with all that was I ate like shit. Mm. I did too many drugs. I traveled too much. Mm. I wasn't a great father. I felt like I just, you know, on the exterior people actually didn't notice this because I've spoken to to people except for my wife who I'm sure, um, and definitely felt it. Um, I was numbing myself with, with celebration and travel and excitement and work and, Mm. Um, and and pain actually because I had uh, a pretty bad knee injuries um, to both my knees in which I had already at that point had like one ACL surgery and two MCL surgeries to scope out and it only got worse over the years and what I realized was I had a low hum and an energy of pain running through me at all times that I've been numbing and that was both physical pain, and there was also the mental pain of things that I had never dealt with in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing I had never dealt with, which we can definitely talk about more, is the very sudden, first the depression and hospitalization, and then the very sudden death of my father. So um, I compartmentalized all that. I put it aside, I ran like hell, I was naive, I figured out my story, and I numbed myself.
0: I gotta tell you, man, I, 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 and this does not happen to me often. Um, I have chills from my head down my, I can feel it in my thighs. Mm-hmm. And the reason I have those chills is because I was with you the night that your dad died.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I was, we were together, we went out that night and I think at about, four o'clock in the morning i got a text from you that was like i can't believe it my effing dad died and i'm on a plane to 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 brooklyn to new york and we were young i mean we were young we were
1: like babies yeah i was 20 i think i was 28 or 29
0: yeah yeah and i remember i flew up to new york actually i came up uh to the funeral and um and yeah I mean, I just got to stop there because that's just like feels very, very poignant. Um, And, you know, as a guy who was running as fast as I guess we were both running and then for a life event to happen, you know, now I really believe and know that these life events happen for reasons. Did that life event your dad's passing. I mean, did you stop, did it impact you enough where it opened you uh, or were you running at a speed that you just sort of said, okay, dad died. I'm going to say goodbye and I'm going to keep going on to what I'm doing. What, what, what's talk to me a little bit about that. And then when, when did it, you know, begin to kind of show back up in Mm -hmm. your, in your.
1: Yeah. That's, that's uh, so yeah, I remember that all too well. Um, it rocked my world in every possible way. And it both led to, you know, my awakening yeah. and it also led to my shutting down. And, um, I remember when it first happened, I was, at, I was uh, working at Moxie and, um I just, you know, punched out. I was like, okay, I'm just I'm, I'm obviously gonna take time. So I remember just shutting everything down and um, mourning and figuring out all of his business along with my brother, sister and mother, and Hetty, and that's uh, my wife. And, um, you know, after like I went right into shift the business mode that I was doing in business, to shift the business mode along with my brother and sister, of taking care of everything I need to be taken care of from, you know, the funeral to the, to figuring out his trust, to how to take care of our mother, to, you know, how to, how to, you know, basically run the business of my father no longer being alive. And, um, certainly, you know, lots of tears and lots of family support, but, um, never really thinking about exactly what it meant, right. Just, just kind of in business mode, still heads down, numbing, going, doing, and I never, I hadn't really dealt with it. And, you know, it wasn't, it hasn't been until very recently. We're talking the last, like, you know, two, maybe two and a half years that I dealt with it. And, and how I dealt with it, um, it is, is, a, is a, another conversation. Yeah. But um, it changed a lot of things for me. One, um, it, I believe it, it uh, I've always felt paternal i eat with my friends with you know, i just i've always felt like and it comes from how my father was and how my grandfather was um my, my grandfather was on my mother's side was this like giant person of a, of, a, of a personality he ran a luncheonette store he was he was the mayor mm. you know like the, the storyteller the joke teller the, yeah. the person that like just everyone you know looked up to and, and talked about and he um And my father and kind of their male energies together kind of showed me what it means to be a man. I mean, it means to be, you know, caring. It means to be vulnerable yet strong. It means to take care of the people around you. It means to be a gregarious storyteller, et cetera, et cetera. And I felt the moment my father passed away, not only did I feel him, but I felt like I became him. Mm. If that makes any sense Mm. in lots of ways. One uh, my wife and I had been working on having children and um, having some difficulty at that, and um, really trying to figure out what our path forward was. And the moment my you know, my, my dad passed, um, and 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 our family just banded together, and and Hetty saw that, and she be she and uh, became part of the family in this in this bear hug. Um, that led to us having our our first and then second child. Mm. That was the that was the spark that showed us like we're gonna get this done um, because I had all this like energy that needed to come out as a father and I just felt like when your father's as as unfortunately you know to Brian I'm sorry when your father leads you yeah so um, that was one part of it right um, it, it, it changed that trajectory of my life it really it, and the second way it led to my awakening is. I saw my first, I'll do what I call my first woo-woo activity. And out here in the West Coast, I became very (laughs) woo-woo. And, you know, um, how how I define woo-woo is, you know, crystals and meditation and plant medicine and spirit and, you know, praying and, you know, breath work and, 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 and all the, and, and all the things that, you know, my, 12-year-old, 16-year-old Brooklyn self would have kicked my ass for. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is that? What are those beads you're wearing? Why are you uh, counting them? What's that thing you're doing? Why are you sitting on a cushion? Why are you uh, an altar? Like, all these things, uh, right? yes, yes. So, yes. Um, you know, it led to my awakening because I saw a woman named Lynette in Atlanta mm. and um, it was bought, a, a session was bought for me by my good friends, um, Lee, Taylor, and Laura mm. at the time. And you know, I didn't know what this was. They just said, here you go, go see Lynette. Yeah. And I remember going to see her and sitting down in a room with her thinking, is this a massage? Like, what's, what's going to happen? I have no idea. And, you know, she said, close your eyes and um, you can press record. You know, I brought my laptop at the time to press record. Um, close your eyes and I'm just going to go through your chakras. And she would go from, you know, from every chakra from the bottom to the top and yeah. tell me what she saw and send, you know, gold healing energy through it. And, um, you know, basically just, you know, what I didn't know at the time is she was healing. She was energetically healing me with my shock and through my chakras. And I remember at the end of that experience, opening my eyes, coming back to, and, um, literally feel like I was lifted out from the bottom of the ocean Back to the top yeah. to see the sunlight. Yeah. And this mask I had on me for three months at this time of just sadness and de- anger and depression and all this was just lifted. And that was my first experience with the healing arts, with healing, with medicine. Yeah. And um, it's funny because I didn't even... At the time, I was just like, wow, this is crazy. I put her in the psychic category. I'm like, oh, she's a psychic. Right. I brought my sister to her, my mother, who I we heard amazing things about my father in heaven and how he sings, but it doesn't sound like something we'd recognize. And it was it was all of this amazing... I and mean, every time I'd ever been with her for a reading, for me, for my wife, for my sister, for my mother, it, it was always just so accurately um, chilling, but also healing. And she also... Told me that you know my father was not just around me, yeah. But he was like literally like on my shoulder, like in my ear, in my head, wow. and we talked to him and just you know released him. Wow! And it was uh, and I felt it and yeah. So that was that was my first uh, beginning of my awakening. Despite my best efforts to to, to 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 suppress that and forget that, that was that was number one.
0: Yeah, that's 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 amazing. I love how you say your 16-year-old Brooklyn ass would kick your ass. I feel the same way. I'm like my 17-year-old like punk ego ass would be like what? Like <laughs> like you're meditating in front of an altar? What? Um so so it's 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 probably a good kind of transition piece for us actually into uh some of the woo woo which um which I'm actually really interested in in terms of uh your life and how really you know, look, you call it woo- woo, I call it spirituality, you know some people call it what you know some people call it uh God, some people call it whatever they call it, um, mm-hmm. uh, I guess the, everyone's connection to something bigger something um, around us, right that we can't see feel touch yeah and you know, I'd like to really just hear your perspective on it and not only perspective on it, but how is it a part of your life? What, uh, How is spirituality a part of your life? Where does it play in your life? What are the types of things that you're doing in your life that connect to uh, spirituality, if you will? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I know there's a lot there. So I just wanted mm-hmm. to just generally throw that yeah. out in terms of how it's in your life, how it impacts your life, how important it is to you now.
1: Sure. So, you know, as I mentioned uh, around my first experience with it, one thing I did go back to uh, Lynette for at the time was to learn about how to really control and manage your energy. And she would give me a great visualization of, you know, kind of sitting down And, um, you know, imagining the bubble around you and, you know, taking bigger breaths to make it bigger and bigger and more expansive. And is it leaning forward? Are you thinking about the future or leaning behind you, etc.? And then how to, you know, imagine a, a glowing orb of a, a, a beautiful gold light on top of you and have it call back all your energy, all your agreements from the people, you know, from your mother that needs something from you, from from your best friend, from work, from your client, from your children, you know, you kind of call it all back and then you fill yourself back up with that warm, glowing light. And, um, you know, at the same time, you feel kind of tethered to the center of the earth. And... That's something that was an exercise that I learned from her, and I've used that throughout my career. Mm. I remember going in to pitch L'Oreal, um, you know, for their for their business, and you know, it was the most intimidating of intimidating um, situations. We're talking like, you know, card like cartoon style conference room with the longest table you've ever seen. Everyone dressed in like designer clothes, you know, high 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 pressure situation, multi million dollar account. Etc. Uh, Etc. Et and it was, you know, it was, it was like, okay, lights action. You're on, yeah. you're, you're going to win this. You're going to lose yeah. this right now. And mm-hmm. I remember sitting, uh, going to the bathroom right before the pitch and sitting down, uh, without, you know, toilet seat closed, just sitting down and doing this exercise. I've been able to, I learned to do this in like, you know, 30 seconds and then just opening my eyes and feeling present. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's something I kind of stayed with me and I just, I, I just called that energy, you know, like how to, how to, how to be present, how to manage energy. Yeah. So, you know, fast forward through a career at Twitter and, um, you know, after, after Moxie and as you mentioned, you know, pressure cooker going from, you know, very little to billions in revenue and teams around the world, all that stuff. I also had, uh, a goal, um, that I had from a very young age, just was like from 22 and my goal was, you know, to quote unquote retire at forty. Yeah, I
0: remember.
1: Um, I remember that goal. And 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 there's a there's a lot behind that goal. And um, I'm going to take another uh, quick side street for you, which yeah. you know, I, I often hear you speak about. Kind of your greatest gifts lie next to your your biggest wounds. Yeah. And one of my biggest wounds growing up, um, you know, as a child, was around financial insecurity, mm-hmm. and remembering. Um, not only you know w- were, were times tough. You know, my father was a teacher. My mother worked um, at, at a at a kind of Target style store back then as a cashier, on and off, uh, while well, in between raising three kids. You know, three kids that all went to college, all graduated college. Um, and my poor father, who was a teacher on a teacher's salary, working after school jobs, tutoring, summer jobs, camp, all that stuff. Um, but I remember being like twelve or thirteen and wanting to go to the movies and, um, just like I would, you know, harass, like, I just need $5. And my friends are going to the movies, $5. And I remember just uh, a really, it was, it was a very tough moment for me, um, where my dad kind of broke down and it was a, a combination of anger and tears and shame. And basically said like, we, we just don't have the money and showed me the bank account. And it was, you know, it was, it was a, a number of sub, you know, like $150 or something like that. And, just you know I felt um so so insecure like you know just insecure like I just who's who's in charge who's protecting me like what what's and I remember the next day I went out and got a job I went I got a job sweeping floors at a wow. deli um after school just immediately and then I went to catering hall and started became a busboy and then so that's where my hustle was born that's wow. where my like you know uh you know the gift of being a, a My, 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 my uh, friend, my cousin used to call me the great convincer. Mm. He's like, you can convince people to do anything. I'm like, yeah. "Yeah." So you kind of, you combine convincing with hustle. And like, I think, you know, those are the keys to like my, those are the keys to my success. And I I still have those today, right. Um, But in a different way. So, um, you know, we, we fast forward to Twitter and it's 2017. I had been there about six years. I woke up on my 40th birthday um, and, you know, my wife threw me this amazing party, the storytellers party, which I used to do in Atlanta, yeah. um, with, 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 somebody else. And, you know, everybody would come up and sing and tell stories. And it was like an open mic. Right. So I'm very excited about that day. Woke up at 40. And I, I remember thinking, you know, I, I always judge my life uh, or judged my life by the length that my father died you yeah. know, 62. Wow. Like, you know, what if I've got 22 years left on this uh. earth? that was 40 of them or the next 22 or more, hopefully going to look like. And I, I, I decided that day I was leaving. Um, you know, I, I, I made, um, you know, uh, between Moxie and Twitter, I really, and investing in real estate and doing things. I had become, you know, financially uh, independent in a way that, you know, I, I just, I, I never imagined I could. Yeah. And I knew that, yeah, you know, I still wanted to work. Like, at that point, uh, retirement meant different things to me instead of meaning like I'm just sitting on a beach, kicking me on my feet up. It means diversifying. It means doing more creative endeavors. It means doing different types of businesses, advising, consulting, just, you know, expressing, uh, your creative and professional sense in different ways. Right. But I left, um, I left that summer. Um, you know, it was, it was amazing. exit. Because we, you know, at the time our team won like every single award you could win in the industry from like Cannes Lions to Opie Awards. Like it was just, it was the most beautiful ending to the most beautiful chapter I've ever had in my professional life. It was just exciting. Okay, so here I am, (laughs) day one, pacing the house like a tiger. Yeah, that's that's what my wife told me. She's like, you gotta do something because you are pacing the house like a tiger. Yeah. She was not used to me being home.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, um, at the same time I had another tragedy happen literally the month I was leaving Twitter. One of my dearest friends, um, passed away from cancer mm-hmm. at, at age 40, uh, leaving behind, you know, a, a wife and two amazing children. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, again, something I didn't, I couldn't process. I was just running. You know, I, I liken it to being on a train, jumping off, you're still rolling. Yeah. And that's where I was. Yeah. Um, so I, I took a trip to Patagonia with one of my other dear friends who we were all close friends with. And it was a clear head kind of two week trip. And I had a discussion with him, uh, my friend, Andrew, on the top of this beautiful glacier, glacier, walking down an eight mile hike down to the bottom. And it was a whole discussion about ego. And he was like this high profile, like master of the universe, Wall Street type. and. Then you know, essentially, became uh, independent real estate—you uh, know, developer, owner, renter—all all those things. And we talked all about how he really has to tamp down his ego to to do that. And and I remember hearing that, thinking like, God, how do I do that? Oh, I, I know how. I have to do a, a project that's creative, that's outside of business. And I thought that was the solution. Well, I you know. Ego is a really big uh, chapter of, of the story that goes hand in hand with, with, you know, my awakening and woo Right. So, you know, I left Twitter. Uh, I immediately like within within a month or so jumped into another opportunity. Mm-hmm. It was one of my really good friends company. It was an incredible opportunity. They had just raised tons of money, beautiful, amazing product. I love the founder, one of my dearest friends. Mm-hmm. And I came on as president, which really, after about a month, I, I, I was like, I can't do this. This is I was traveling to LA every week for, I mean, I worked, I lived in San Francisco. So I stopped that. I was like, okay, that, that was crazy. And then I started taking on some advising work and I kind of loaded up too much of that. And what I realized is like, okay, I just, I haven't stopped. I'm still, you know, I'm, at the time it was like 50 pounds heavier. Uh, my knees were killing me. I was still traveling and doing all the things, not present at home. Mm-hmm. And, um, I decided to do something really big, which was get a double knee replacement. And, you know, I was, I was, I was young to do it. I was 40. Um, and I, I needed it after just a lifetime of injuries. Well, that to me was a near death experience. I mean, that was, uh, literally woke up from the operating table, doing two knees at once yeah. thinking, what did I do? I'm in so much pain yeah. and rehabilitating myself and being at home and doing that, um, and trying not to be addicted to pain pills, which you know I really liked then yeah. at the time. Yeah. So it was, scary. it was scary. Well, you know what did I do uh, while I was recovering? Like a month into recovering, nope, I didn't. Uh, you know, take it slow. I decided to look for another job somehow, and ended up in an entire new career in the cannabis industry, mm-hmm. and took a job as a chief marketing officer uh, for 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 a big NorCal North cannabis, a huge cannabis company here in California. Because I I realized my patterns are I love the beginning of things. I love the beginning of industries. I love the beginning of digital, social, mobile, you know, cannabis, NFTs, anything new. I love the beginning of industries, right? Because it's part of that. Why not me attitude. Uh And about a month or so into this, into starting, which was only two months after my surgery against my doctor's wishes of like wait at least three months, I crashed and I crashed in a way that I had depression that scared the shit out of me. Mm. My depression um, was reminiscent of what my father had described, what I had seen firsthand with him, which was the days are dark and you don't know why, mm. and nothing seems possible, yeah. and nothing seems, everything seemed like a horrible mistake I made. Um you know, I couldn't get a loan on a new piece of property I had just uh, acquired because I worked in yeah. cannabis all of a sudden and yeah. it's federally illegal. Right. My bank was going to drop me. Like yeah. basically everything that I had worked for yeah. um, in my whole life was it was was, was at risk of being taken away. Right. Plus a new job where I was learning everything, building a team, running a hundred miles an hour, yeah. trying to build another billion dollar company. And I was just, I was depressed in a way that I had never been before. Yet I recognized that, In moments, I wasn't. In certain moments, I could see clearly. So I just remembered thinking like, okay, this isn't permanent. This is something I need to deal with. What do I do? And um, a good friend of mine, Aaron, introduced me to um, a coach who is both kind of talk therapy, healer, et cetera. And I had watched him go through a transformation after a tragic event in his life. And he, he introduced me to a woman named Soraya Sizemore, who is, you know, to this day, my coach healer, mentor, friend, um, who really introduced me to, um, breath work. So Kundalini Mm -hmm. yoga and holotropic breath work, which puts you in an altered state, um, completely naturally and allows you to, uh, just kind of get anger through feelings. that I don't feel very easily like anger. Mm. I don't feel that very easily. And it's a way, you know, doing something called fists of anger where you're, you're, you're like, breathing heavy, like heavy patterns, like yeah, yeah. And you know, moving your hands around and and doing all these things. And at the end of it, I just felt so much better. And then I looked to my diet and you know, I had to lose weight before my surgery. And it was very beneficial to lose it after. So my wife had become vegetarian. So I was like, you know, let me, let me try this. And, you know, somehow I became vegetarian. And as you know, Mr. Brent heard mm-hmm. uh, after our nights at Fogo de Chao and meat a mm-hmm. um, meat was like, you know, up there with my identity yeah. next to like yeah. father. Yeah. Like sure. it was there. So, you know, this transition to, to a vegetarian, I tried vegan, a little too hard, vegetarian, I could make it happen and my body felt better. So what Saraya told me and what I began to realize is this is my medicine. Yeah. My medicine is eating well. My medicine is morning meditation slash breath work and prayer and many other things that she taught me and I, and I also learned for myself. And that was really my introduction into that world or reintroduction, I'd say, into that world of, you know, uh, the spirit, uh, the, the great spirit or, or medicine as, as, as my community calls it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just remember thinking this is my medicine. So that was the beginning of, of my journey. Mm-hmm.
0: That's that, so there's a whole lot of, I've literally been taking <laughs> notes cause, um, thanks for all that. That was actually, um, incredible. So I wanted to talk cuz I know it's so near and dear to your heart. Um there's really two things that I want to make sure that we cover. First one is is guardian. You you just mentioned it, but I wanted to really go into a little bit more and, and then also before we wrap, I want to hear about what you're doing now. Like what is going on at home? What's going on on I mean, you actually said something earlier. You said, "Yeah, I'm on the land." I was like, "Ah, he's on the land." Like, man, <laughs> what, what, what's going on on the land and what does the future look like? So let's start with guardian and then kind of wrap it up with, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So guardian, um, when I was working at Twitter, this was probably about my uh, three quarter mark there. I forget exactly what year it's about. It's been about almost seven years now ago. It was really stressful. It was really difficult. It was, I was under a pressure cooker. I wasn't feeling great about myself Um, and I met a coworker there, a guy named Ben Kovacs, who is a phenomenal human, somebody who I've worked with and continue to work with and just great friends with through life. And we met, we were in Vegas at the consumer electronics show in line and he came up to me and we were just chatting and he was telling me about, um, this idea he had, uh, for, he was in the boys' uh, Big Brothers program. And I am a product of after-school programs, and I am a product of playing music after school, uh, being a last-key kid, but going immediately and playing music with my band. And he was just saying, like, you know, it's, it's it's such a great program, but it's so hard to find something to, like, engage with children on. You know, like, what do we do? Are we going to go, like, roller skating? Are we going to go buy ice cream? Like, what do you do when you have that time with a child um, that, that you're trying to mentor or teach and you know, what was going through my head was I was starting to make uh, you know some some real revenue coming in and starting to really think about my future. And I had just had my first child, my first daughter. And um, uh, all these things came flooding to me around, you know, my father was a teacher. He would he would teach kids after school. I'm not sorry, during school and after school, but remotely, he'd go to their houses, kids who, for whatever reason, had school phobia or a broken leg or something as severe as cancer. And he would go to their houses. So he was a teacher, and then he was a camp director. And I was also a camp counselor and then a music, you know, director at camp. And I'd always worked in after-school programs. I worked at the Y um from age like 16 through 18 or 15 through 18, teaching music uh to kids and doing an after-school program. So um he was telling me about this and you know he loved jujitsu and he was, you know, at the time I think a purple belt. Um and, and I loved boxing and I you know I trained for years and I always always had this dream of running a box of having a boxing gym for some reason. I just I thought it was like one of the coolest things you could have. And we just started talking and it was his idea. And I was like, you know what? I told him like the the next week, I'm like, I want to have you over for dinner. Uh, So I invited him over for dinner to meet my wife and just asked him like, I'd like to co-found this with you. And he said, yeah. And, you know, I think um, for anyone that wants to start anything, whether it's a business or a podcast, I think the most important thing I have learned over the years after being part of many startups, seeing many startups is the most important thing you can do is get either a partner or somebody that will hold you accountable, right? Somebody that will be a mentor, a partner or hold you accountable because it's lonely, lonely, lonely. It's really lonely. Um, So we were the perfect combination. He had been talking about this for years. And as he says um, many times, like it probably would still be a pipe dream if he didn't meet me and we didn't talk about it. Um, I was able to, you know, at the time put money up to, to help, uh, finance it. Um, and Ben, uh, was able to eventually quit Twitter to actually run it full time. Um, and then we hired a gentleman named Sasha, who was the managing director and between both of them, they're really the ones that put the the everyday sweat, equity, blood and tears in it. Mm. And we're also now expanding it into be to be international and not physically international, but. Any child that wants to train around the world, we will create a scholarship fund and be able to find the school, place them in the school and give them martial arts. And the reason why is because martial arts, specifically jujitsu and boxing, gives kids one, the discipline that they need uh, in life at a young age, to the outlet to express all the things little yeah. kids need to express boys yeah. and girls. Like you see the energy that kids have. They're like pit bulls. They totally. need, they need an outlet for yes. that. So this is a very positive touch, Man. positive outlet, especially jujitsu because you, know, you start literally on top of each other. Yeah. So like for my you know nine-year-old daughter who, by the way, can like, throw a, a 12-year-old boy down to the ground and choke him out, like, <laughs> in a humble brag. She, you know, seeing that positive touch of, like, her and a boy next to each other and wrestling and doing this, I think is really cool. And then the third thing is there's a mentorship and community that comes from that. Like, back to the original idea of the Boys and Girls Club, it's really, you know, sometimes it's hard for these kids, especially that, you know, are single-parent households, financially insecure, sometimes the only meal that they eat during the day is what we are, are able to give them through partnerships with, with, with different restaurants and, and places at guardian and help them with their homework, et cetera. The minute you, you, you roll on the mat or you punch the of boxing gloves and you're open, they're open to talking, you know, kids Ooh. that are silent and tough guys and yeah. you know, tough girls that walk in the minute they get humbled by being, you know, thrown and choked out by somebody yeah. who's like half their size they're willing to listen. Yeah. <laughs> they're willing to talk. Yeah, so I'm bad. yeah, that's guardian. Um, I just, it's been a labor of love and, you yeah, know, but I really owe, it's always the team that does it. I really owe the success of that, you know, outside of starting it and branding it, bringing it to life.
0: And how can people, uh, how can people check it out or donate?
1: Go to at guardian gym on Insta or, or, or Twitter, or go to www.guardiangym.org to donate. Cool. So yeah,
0: so now, uh, I want, want to want to hear about uh, what's happening at, at the Joel Lunenfeld home in so, <laughs> California.
1: Okay, so the Joel Lunenfeld home, um, the Lunenfeld home yeah. is now uh, storyteller ranch. So, um, I think maybe reading Little House on the Prairie with our girls, uh, <laughs> impacted us. And, and I know I loved that movie growing up. Yeah. I saw that that show growing yeah. up. In fact, my wife uh, looks a lot like Laura Ingalls Wilder. I remember like wow, describing her as my sister like that. Yeah. So you know, yeah. I had always been obsessed with kind of, uh, everything that you don't have when you grow up. I'd never been camping. You know, I'd only seen buildings. I was in a building right. looking across another building growing yeah. up. Right. So like, the first time I got into nature, I was scared. Like, I remember going camping with friends and being like, they'd be like, shut up, stop talking. Just like, just like listen, you know? but like, I'm so uncomfortable. Like, I'm in woods, like, where are the killers, you know? Like, where are the people hiding in trees, the animals? So, you know, over, over my life, I had become a lot more of a quote-unquote outdoors man. Yeah. Camping and, you know, uh, hunted ones and I've, you know, know how to, uh, you know, do lots of things, you know, teach survival skills. I've taken classes in that and stuff. So this idea of having a little space was something that was really important to my wife and I. And, you know, we, we kind of, she drew on a piece of paper, all the things that we wanted. She wanted an art studio to be able to you know, draw and paint and create. She's extremely creative. She's a writer. She's an amazing, you know, just creative mind. Um, and our daughters are also right. So a place for them to go and build and do and, and be, we wanted um, a place where we could have uh, uh, maybe some animals that for once in their life, give it back to us. Like, you know, got lots of dogs and cats, but man, they are, they are beautiful and they are loving, but they are just empty holes of need. Right. Yes. So now, you know, we wanted uh, goats that can give us milk or chickens that can give us fresh eggs. Right. And, you know, we finally got uh, some space to be able to do that. And the last part of the equation is this barn and, for me, this barn, Storyteller Barn, is my field of dreams moment. Mm-hmm. It's the, if you build it, Amazing. they will come. Amazing. Meaning for everything that I've done in my career and everything that I've done in my life and all the beautiful people I know and the the network I have of some of the brightest and best. And also usually it coincides with the most caring and heart-centered mm-hmm. people in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I want a place to gather. I want a place to gather for a community, whether it's my medicine community to do meditation retreats or breathwork retreats or, uh, you know, or um, a place to teach classes or a place to hold performances to, to bring bands to play for me to play and a music studio to record to record content like this or, um, you know, professional recording for musicians. Um, the idea is to build a our, our, our storyteller ranch, which is the name of our property, Amazing. into a our dream, which is a place to bring creatives and healing minds to congregate, to teach, to wow. learn, to share, and to ultimately tell their story. Mm. And, um, you know, I think if there's one kind of word that I would like on my tombstone next to, you know, husband, father, friend, it's storyteller.
0: Wow. Wow, man, that is cool! And uh, so, when will Storyteller Ranch open? When's uh, well, you
1: know, the eggs are the eggs are finally here, yeah. so they're really beautiful and delicious. Yeah. Um, the 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 barn is probably about uh, you know conservatively about six months away yeah. from being being complete. And, um, you know, it's a place where I'm going to bring the companies I advise and others to do everything from come here and let's tell your company story. I love working with startups to tell their story. What's their unique gift? What's their differentiator? What's their investment deck look like? Or, or, Or a person who started a company, you know, like, why did you do it? Let's let's talk about your life most people can't tell their story yeah. and it's, it's funny because they can tell other stories, but if you ask people to tell their story, <laughs> they're like, uh, look at my link, LinkedIn right. or, you know, like everyone has a narrative that is ever evolving and you know, their, their story is not o- not over. And I don't even think it's over when you pass. I think yeah. your story is, is ongoing and, um, storytelling is something that is going to live and breathe here.
0: So inspirational, man. Um, Thank you. So anything, uh, anything you want to leave, uh, you want to leave the, our, our esteemed audience with any, any, any bits of advice for, you know, people who, you know, look, a lot of people are trying to figure it out. A lot of people are trying to figure out life and a lot of people are trying to figure out, uh, all, a a lot of things I think you have actually. And, uh, yeah, any, any, uh, any, you know, parting words of wisdom.
1: Yeah. One, admit that you haven't figured it out. That's really important um because i haven't i'm figuring it out right it's active that's why i love um the healing community because it's it's an active state no one's ever healed right no one's ever hey that thing i had that i used to solve check doesn't have doesn't work like that right it rears itself in other forms it's like playing whack-a-mole so it's constant yeah i'd say the best piece of advice i ever got in my life ever and usually you get the best advice inversely proportionate to your ability to understand it, right? Whether it's your age or the state of mind you're in. Um, This was in college and um, I was in a fraternity SAE and um, you know, I was a social chair and I became like a leader and I went to the leadership school there in Alabama. And, you know, we were kind of the ragtag New York version of this, uh, you know, very Southern, very, uh, you know, Alabama based fraternity. And, um, we were the very kind of, uh, misfit chapter of the, of this, of this fraternity. And the leader of our misfit chapter was this guy named Fritz, African-American guy, homosexual, like not the things you think a fraternity boy, you know, bro should be right. And, you know, he was, he was always great at, at giving his wisdom and his advice. And just the one thing he said to us once as we were talking about like planning, like a party and like, at the time, everybody was doing like, you know, pimps and hose party or dirty old man and, you know, schoolgirl parties, and like all of these things that like, are you know, like if my daughters today, like, yeah. you know, that's why they're learning jujitsu right. because like <laughs> you know, somebody asked him to that, I want I want them to give them a really naked show. Oh yeah. but yes. Uh, the thing he said um was that the hardest thing in the world to be is yourself. Mm. And you know, I didn't really know what that meant at the time. Like wow. we translated it into like, hey, let's let's throw a mixer that is you know, where we play Lady and the Tramp, the movie and a projector and we make, you know, Italian food and we bring the girls over for dinner. We bring our our sorority sisters over for dinner. Like, and that was so against the grain of like, you know, you know, keg stands and jello shots and all that type of stuff. And, And it worked, it worked for us. It worked for me. And that's something over and over again, I keep on telling myself and remind myself that man, the hardest thing in the world to be is yourself. The mm. hardest thing in the world. And I tell my kids this all the time. Like, yeah, you're different. Of course you're different. Yeah. And that's awesome. And like, you know how you say those things that like, you know, other kids might find weird, but like we write down, cause they're genius or you know how like you don't want to dress this way or you want to, but like, that is all the, you trying to come out. And be brave enough to be yourself. Yeah. And if you can be, if you can do the hardest work in the world of being yourself, mm. then you will have a life, I believe, that um, you will, will feel very fulfilled. Ah,
0: oh, man, that is absolutely beautiful, beautiful wisdom. Man, I can't. T- I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Uh, your stories are inspirational. Um, thank you, man. I think we can all learn uh, from you, and uh, and I'm I'm grateful uh, to have seen a lot of it myself. Man, it's uh, I've we've seen a lot of life together, and and it's 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 been an absolute honor. Of, of same um, here,
1: same so. here, and thank you again. I'm proud of your awakening, man. Thanks so it's, much. It's beautiful to see, and and also interesting that both of ours happened. During the same time period, separately. Yeah. In a period that we actually weren't talking much. Yeah, you're. So, uh, you are totally right. Yeah, so there goes the way of uh, the spirit.
0: Hey, thanks for being with us today and joining me in my mission to help a hundred million children live out their greatest life. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the Awakened Dad podcast, and share with your friends and follow us on Instagram at the Awakened Dad. If you like what you heard today, please make sure to listen to our other episodes and thank you for being with us.